welcome to another Straight Talking English Season 4 Episode 2, this time on William Blake's London. Nice one. I am your host as ever, Catherine, and you can find me on SDRA Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com, Patreon slash Straight Talking English, please, please, please donate to my show. And I think that's about it. I think it's all the places you can find me. Full context series on Amazon as ever, which is, I think, a very good series. I think you might enjoy it. Big thanks to my voice actors for today, Daniel and Michael. Thank you so much. And, of course, the big news is this is coming to you in January and... February is my anniversary month. I never thought my little old podcast would make it this far, and it actually has. So I have some really, really cool bonus content coming for you in February. You are going to absolutely blooming love it. All right, all right, all right. Let's get talking about some Blakey. So Blake was 37 when he actually wrote London. He was a working class man from Soho, London boy through and through. Basically never really moved out of a very, very small area. He was a practicing engraver. So like, if you've got a photocopier and it makes the copy of the thing as it should do, or maybe it doesn't. I mean, I've spent too long trying to work on making photocopiers work. But like before then, you if you wanted to make a copy of a bit of artwork or something, you would get an engraver to like engrave it on a plate and then they could produce as many copies as they wanted for you. And that's what Blakey did. His dad was an engraver. He was going to grow up to be an engraver. However, he had some mad artistic talent. He actually got accepted into the Royal Academy of Arts to train there, which was pretty awesome. Like, engravers were considered like the black sheeps of the art world. Sorry, black sheep. Sheep is the plural of sheep. The black sheep of the art world. So it's actually a really big deal. He did pretty well, to be honest. He actually did really nicely. The problem is, number one, he kept trying to fight everybody, including the painter Sir Joshua Reynolds. And two, as he described uh, in a letter to his friend, he, he got his inspiration from some blooming weird places. I was once looking over the prints from Raphael and Michelangelo in the library of the Royal Academy, and Moses came to me and said, you should not study these stiff and dry unfinished works of art. How I did secretly rage. The man who does not know the beginning can never know the end of art. Lee Moses is not like a pseudonym for a man yet that he knows. It is actually the prophet Moses. Blake firmly, firmly believed that he saw angels and spirits all around him and like we're really really quick today to be like oh maybe he was schizophrenic but actually he was an incredibly religious dude and within some communities even now like hearing the voice of god is a perfectly realistic thing he was really open about it as well which led people to think he was a bit crazy but 
he himself would just like randomly tell people about it. I have spoken with many spirits. I have conversed with the angels. I have often been permitted to see the atmosphere of falsehood which exhales from hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Blakey. Like, at parties and stuff, he would just start randomly preaching to people. And I would imagine that to be slightly terrifying. I described someone I went to uni with to my boyfriend as being that tedious anarchist who tells you about anarchy. And I kind of get the vibe that uh, old Blakey was that guy. Oh, bless him. He was married very, very happily to his wife, Catherine, who did not see the spirits herself, but was just totally fine with him chatting away to spirits. She was felt to be somewhat of a controversial choice for him because she was a servant, even someone as working class as Blakey Blakey Blake could allegedly have done better than a servant. But they had a pretty happy marriage. They never had children. Um, no idea as to the whys and wherefores of that one. But yeah, pretty good. He never really had much money. Um, despite being potentially a, you know, a talented man, he did randomly try and fight people or tell them about angels. So he didn't get a lot of commissions. But he was reading a lot of these, like, improving books for children and he noticed this like market for it even mary wollstonecraft wrote one um you know like there's some little morals and tales in here for young people to think of and blakey's like all right all right he does his own it's called songs of innocence and it's a little bit it's a little bit saccharine I mean, like, he doesn't really know very much, and it's very, very twee. But, you know, it's a cash grab. It's a cash grab. But Blakey, as ever, as ever, and I'm, I've read his autobiography by Ackroyd, and it is very, very in-depth, actually. And he just had to always put his spin on things. So he decided he was going to write a companion to Songs of Innocence called Songs of Experience. And it's supposed to be satirical, according to Ackroyd. And honest to God, I had to go on Facebook to, to check this because I was like, I thought satire was supposed to be funny, you know, like like South Park, right? So they've got something, they're exaggerating it, Kim Kardashian's a hobbit, whatever. And since I dropped down part-time to uh, try and work on all my creative projects, not gonna lie, I've been work watching quite a lot of classic <laughs> South Park. <laughs> I mean, in between like doing serious creative stuff, but trust, I know my Cartman's right now. But actually, um, it's not. It's not supposed to be funny. That's parody, which is supposed to be funny. Satire is super exaggerating something to talk about, to make a social point. The example people bring up, which is actually the one I forgot when I was trying to record my YouTube video and I could not remember the writer's name and then I ended up cussing and I've had to do a load of editing to get rid of my trucker mouth, is Jonathan Swift's a modest proposal. Um, I mentioned this in another one. He says the logical solution to the Irish famine is for cannibalism. 
And Blake's London is supposed to be satirical. It's supposed to be exaggerated. It's supposed to be, you know, a really, really hyped up version of stuff. But on the other hand, he did actually see a lot of London. He was one of them people that walks everywhere. Like, big shout out to my friend Snowden. Because when we were at university, so I went to Warwick. And if you don't know where Warwick is, it's like a field that's halfway between Coventry and Leamington Spa. And it's about six miles from each town. So it's like 12 miles. And I remember that I had a house party and my friend was like, oh, I'm going to walk home now. And I'm like, mate, don't you live in Coventry? He's like, oh yeah, 12 miles. Oh yeah, 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 that's easy. I'm like, really? Really? And then he implied that basically everyone from the north is used to walking. And I'm like, what am I some soft southerner? Because I'm like, 12 miles is too far. But Blake was one of them people. He was like, I'm just going to walk to Clerkenwell now. I'm just going to walk up to Hampstead from Peckham. Because Peckham was where he first saw his first uh, spiritual visitation. Was in Peckham Rye Park. So he did see a lot of London, a lot of the things he talks about, he actually saw. Especially the harlots. <laughs> Though I'm going to come on to them in a little bit. I'm going to come on to them in a little bit. He designed Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience to go next to each other. So you'd get one poem from Innocence and one poem from Experience, like on a double page in a book. But again, he has to go and be Blake, doesn't he? There's no order to what they're supposed to be like. He would just mix them up. What goes with what? I think it goes with a poem called Little Chimney Sweeper. Purely because the imagery of the chimney sweeps is in both. But I don't know. So let me play you London. And then we're going to have a little think about the context of the images in this bad boy. I wander through each chartered street, near where the chartered Thames does flow, and mark in every face I meet, marks of weakness, marks of woe. In every cry of every man, in every infant's cry of fear, in every voice, in every ban, the mind-forged manacles I hear. How the chimney sweepers cry, every blackening church appalls, and the hapless soldiers sigh, running blood down palace walls. But most through midnight streets I hear how the youthful harlots curse, blast the newborn infant's tear, and blights with plagues the marriage hearse. Alright guys, let's get straight into this bad boy. I wander through each chartered street near, we near where the chartered Thames does flow. And believe me, this is my second take in trying to say near where, and I keep fluffing it up. So, alright, chartered in the sense of bought and sold. Right, so the Thames, he's being slightly idealistic because the Thames has been a major waterway forever. But he's talking a little bit about the Industrial Revolution. He's saying how he's now seeing ships and stuff and barges and canals and water. I, I don't live near waterways. Flowing up and down. And that bothers him. Or does it? That's kind of basic. <laughs> so, um, chartered. 
along with the Blood Runs Down Palace walls is one of these like buzzwords like words that are like wolf whistle politics they're designed to give us a reaction like if I said Syrian refugees to you you would immediately have an image in your mind you would find an emotional response and Chartered doesn't have the same one for us in 2020 because Chartered is a buzzword that comes from the writings of Thomas Paine. He wrote Common Sense and the Rights of Man, basically arguing that if the people are mistreated, revolution is inevitable and revolution is right. So by saying things are chartered, it's designed to give us this reaction of seeing London as pre-revolutionary. Right, again, I don't feel it, but we don't live in the time Blake was writing. That's what it's designed to do. We also have access to Blake's first draft, in which his first draft had the word dirty instead of chartered. So he was actually, the first time he tried to write this, he was making a big point about pollution about how he'd seen the waters running clear and now they were running brown i guess but he changed it from being a simple comment on the industrial revolution to making it into this like republican watchword all right we've got the marks of weakness marks of woe part of me the uh the really seedy part of me is like syphilis because um, STDs and STIs were really, really prevalent, and it comes up later in the poem as well. And syphilis leaves you with scars once you have recovered. So part of me thinks, yeah, it's just syphilis. But then part of me also thinks, if he's playing on this Industrial Revolution thing, is he talking about the defects which are caused by by the industrial revolution and by defects i mean people who did have fully typical healthy bodies who went into factories and came out with long-term health problems and it's basically everybody but they're also hideously injuries but industry specific like in some industries you would inevitably get lung disease. In some industries, if you worked in them when you were young, you would come out and you'd be have be hunched up. In some industries, you can develop blindness. There will be people walking around suffering physical health problems due to their, yeah, their factory work. So is that the marks of weakness and the marks of woe? I'm sure let's talk about the mind forged manacles because on one hand the manacles are quite interesting because the prison system has started to reform we're moving away from the whole elizabethan we'll torture them till they squeak kind of vibe we're not gonna see thumb screws or the rack in blakey's time we are gonna see a move intellectually at least towards prisons becoming a place where criminals can quote unquote reform 
they can do their time and they can come out as better people there are so many air quotes around that but you can't hear them because i'm making them in the air i mean in no way am i saying the victorian prisons were pleasant or georgian prisons no they were absolutely absolutely terrible and the stuff of nightmares however ideologically the people running them had a different mindset on they're like we're not gonna hurt these people because we think it's necessary we we like enjoy doing it we're gonna like these people are gonna be hurt because it's gonna make them better so the manacles would be one of the few remaining like vestiges of the old system the like manacles are literally handcuffs so yeah that'd be something that blakey would have seen however (laughs) for the second time we have the first draft (laughs) and the first draft says german forged links instead of mind forged manacles all right why does blakey potentially have a problem with german people well for a start our king at this point is german person so after the previous dynasty the Stuarts were out and queen anne died childless a new heir had to be found and that heir was a fairly distant relative who was a german person he became george the first his son george the second was also mostly a german speaker George III was the first monarch to have actually um, got himself on this whole bilingual trip and actually make England his focus instead of being like, my focus is my kingdom in what will be later Germany and like England's just this sort of thing I've got to deal with. So it could be an anti-monarchy thing and if Blake is sitting there reading the works of Thomas Paine, I mean, Paine isn't exactly a fan of all of this monarchy will inevitably be corrupted the best government is a representative democracy anything based on heredity can only go wrong but there's another interpretation for the german forged links so after particular rounds of rioting which i am about to talk about in the next few minutes hessian and hanoverian which were two smallish kingdoms which would later be uh, unified into germany mercenaries were on the streets of london because the people were getting a little bit rowdy and the georgian kings did not sort of know what to do about this so they hired some mercenaries from back home to come over and intimidate people all right i mean okay we are pretty clear on the logic here all right big scary german dudes cool i mean when i went to dusseldorf and i thought i'd lost my ticket for the train the ticket inspectors were big scary german dudes so i can relate to where blake is in that but it all comes back to this republican comment how the chimney sweepers cry at every blackening church appalls 
All right, chimney sweepers is another one of these wolf whistle words. So if you've got a house with a big chimney and content warning, massive child abuse at this point. So just skip through the next couple of minutes if that isn't something that may cause you distress, that is an issue, cool. If you've got a house with a big chimney, then you need someone to sweep it because you've got a fire under it and it's full of soot. Um, so the big chimney is not really big enough for an adult, so you send a child up there and they can suffocate or suffer physical malformations as they grow up. And sometimes they would just forget the child was up there and then the child would burn to death. There are huge, huge numbers of children who have died in the chimney sweeping trade. And it is not Mary Poppins and, you know, them dancing happy chimney sweeps. No, 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 no. It is the wretched of the wretched. And because we've got this emerging media, we have awareness of this issue. People are starting to talk about the hideous fate of the chimney sweeps. Blake actually addressed this in another poem called The Little Chimney Sweeper. And it's a word that's designed to have an emotional reaction. Oh my gosh, chimney sweepers, I've just read about those. That's terrible. And every blackening church appalls. Well, the church is fine with sending chimney sweepers up to clean their own chimneys. And Blake is not a fan of the organised church anyway. So, yeah, it's appalling him, as it would appall us if we think about abuses which we've heard about within the church. Appalls is a cool one as well. Think about pallor. It's also referring to the colour of corpses. So if you're involved in the church, you will get the face of a corpse and be unnaturally pale. All right. Cool. Right. I really enjoyed learning about this, actually. The hapless soldier's sign runs in blood down palace walls. Well, <coughs> in the year 1780, for seven days in June... The country erupted into what was now called the Golden Riots. Parliament had just expressed, well, they just passed an act, allowing more tolerance for Catholics. People who now would be called religious fundamentalists or religious extremists hyped everyone up into a ridiculous state of anger. And they smashed everything up. The army was sent in to, re to calm everyone down and around 700 people died on the streets of London. It's, when I saw that statistic, I was just absolutely shocked that I didn't know about this before now. So why is it relevant to our story? Well, the rioters started about on Oxford Street and the riots finished about um between bank and old bailey they went directly past blake's shop blake was definitely involved but when he told people about it later it's one of these like oh yeah i was involved i was 10 out of 10 rioting yeah but we don't actually know to what extent he really was whether he was just swept up in it whether he was trying to make himself seem cooler. I've got something to share with you. 
which is the ultimate in eyewitness reporting. The writer Ignatius Sancho was working in a shop um, just off... Oh, Cheapside, just off Cheapside. I couldn't remember it. I wanted to say Shoreditch, but it's not Shoreditch. Just off Cheapside. During the time the riots swept past, and he decided to write his letter to his friend in real time as the rioters were going through. So listen to this. This is the closest we can get to an eyewitness man on the street view of the Gordon riots. There is at this present moment at least a hundred thousand poor, miserable, ragged rabble from 12 to 60 years of age with blue cockades in their hats, besides half as many women and children, all parading the streets, the bridge, the park, ready for any and every mischief. Gracious God, what's the matter now? I was obliged to leave off. The shouts of the mob, the horrid clashing of swords, the clutter of a multitude in swiftest motion drew me to the door when everyone in the street was employed in shutting up shop. Lord Sandwich narrowly escaped with his life about an hour since. The mob seized his chariot, going to the house, broke his glasses, and, in struggling to get his lordship out, they somehow have cut his face. The guards flew to his assistance. The light horse scoured the road, got his chariot, escorted him from the coffee house, where he had fled for protection, to his carriage, and guarded him bleeding very fast home. This... This is liberty, genuine British liberty. This instant, about 2,000 Liberty boys are swearing and swaggering with by with large sticks, thus armed in hopes of meeting with the Irish chairman and labourers. All the guards are out, and all the horse. The poor fellows are just worn out for want of rest, having been on duty ever since Friday. Thank heaven it rains, it may increase, so as to send these deluded wretches safe to their homes, their families and wives. About two this afternoon, a large party took it into their heads to visit the King and Queen and entered the park for that purpose, but found the guard too numerous to be forced, and after some useless attempts gave it up. It is reported the House will be either prorogued or Parliament dissolved this evening, as it is vain to think of attending any business while this anarchy lasts. Yeah, so Blake is seeing hapless soldiers' sides. He is seeing blood running down walls because he was there. The palace walls thing is another reference to where people would stick their protest posters. So, again, it comes off as kind of tame. So, on the walls outside Westminster Palace, which would be uh, maybe 20 minutes walk from Blake for his shop if he walked fast there are signs up saying damn the king and i'm like oh oh you're getting getting a bit of scandal there isn't that so that could be the palace walls he's thinking of all right all right right. i did a content warning earlier and i am doing a very very strong content warning now i am going to be talking about child sex work and I am going to be talking about child sexual exploitation. Finish the podcast now if that is something that will ruin your day. Okay? Cool. Bye. Thanks for listening to Straight Talking English. Anyway, through the midnight streets I hear how the youthful harlots curse and blast the newborn infant's tear and blights with plagues of marriage hearse. All right. This took a little bit of research, not gonna lie. 
Secret History of George and London by Dan Crookshank was absolutely invaluable. Thanks, Dan Crookshank. Useful harlots. He is talking about child sex workers. There is a really hideous statistic based on um, one of the refuges for sex workers who wanted to reform, saying that around 40% of their intake were under 15 years of age. Blake would have seen this because one of the biggest and most notorious uh, brothels was I would say about four minutes walk if you walk slowly from where he was born. A lot of the refurbishment, a lot of the regeneration of Soho was fueled by sex workers investing in property through people who wanted lucrative opportunities and didn't mind who they rented their houses to. So this is who Blake is seeing. The curse that blasts the newborn infant's tear. Some people think it's just her shouting at a wedding party. This image of this woman shouting at a wedding party. But the critic Michael Ferber takes it another step further. So this is before we have like modern medicine. And everyone's a little bit vague about how diseases are spread. Diseases, according to the your man in the street, are spread through miasma or bad air. So she opens her mouth and people die because her client has caught an STI from her and then given it to his family and then caused the newborn baby to die. So what should be a happy wedding day is now a funeral because everybody has got syphilis and died. Um, it's not... That is quite compelling. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of with Ferber on this one. Blake didn't pull his punches. He's quite like a straightforward dude. And he would be seeing this. I mean, there's no way he could not have stepped out of his house and seen many quote-unquote harlots. The plagues thing is biblical and, you know, according to the story of Moses, God sends down the plagues on people he thinks are bad, in this case the Egyptians. It's a compelling argument. It just makes me feel really sad because we looking at this now and yeah dan crookshank's book is amazing by the way it brings alive the fact that it's quite a glamorous era in places like covent garden so you get the like the stereotypical images of the beautifully dressed women and courtesans and all of this but then very close by you also get these absolutely disgusting situations which are human lives which are the lives of human beings and this is where it gets worse and when i read this i literally had to close the book go downstairs and stand there for a little bit to process what i just read 
So as I've said, Blake, don't pull his punches. This is the second content warning. Child sexual abuse. If you want to stop now, it's cool. One way that people could seek to rid themselves of syphilis and other STIs was to abuse a child. And by abuse, I mean the absolute worst kind that you can imagine involving an adult and a baby. Google Ian Watkins lost profits for an up-to-date version of the same thing. Oh god, the world is terrible. That might be why the baby is crying. It makes sense in terms of the geography because Blake is located in Soho he's not a long walk away from the hospitals where doctors were dealing with the effects of this but it's grim so (laughs) I'm gonna have to try and tell a funny anecdote to uh lift my own spirits after that one um Again, this is an audio-only medium, but my head is in my hands, and I'm just kind of despairing. I don't know if you can hear the despair. Despair! Right. <laughs> so, to summarise this poem before I keep shouting despair. Right. We've got republicanism. We've got damn the king. We've got revolution is inevitable. We've got the church condoning the abuse of chimney sweeps. We've got German mercenaries on the streets. We've got child sex workers. We've got this hyperbolic, almost apocalyptic hellscape that's coming out of his midnight walk it's oh my days it's like a Hieronymus Bosch painting of the apocalypse that's coming out every awful thing you can think of like armed men on the streets the downfall of the government dirt and pollution everywhere children being hurt you name it it's coming out oh my days it's oh no (laughs) so there you go thank you very much for your journey into the hideous hellscape that is william blake's london if i had to read about it you have to hear about it all right all right i've got to think of something light-hearted to end the episode on or i'm just going to weep forever all right i've got a copy of jb Priestley's the Edwardians for a quid for a charity shop so my overall plan is once I've done the poems again season four season five is going to be Inspector Calls and the modern novels and I got a copy for a quid which I really really enjoyed and I'm now just hysterically laughing because everything is awful right things that are not awful my YouTube series has dropped there is a YouTube video that goes along with this episode. <gasps> Exciting! So check it out, Straight Talking English on YouTube. You can see my face as I tell you 
all about William Blake. And the reading that I included earlier from Daniel of the poem, that's up a separate YouTube clip. Right, straighttalkingenglish.com, S-T-R-H Talk English on Twitter. Patreon slash straighttalkingenglish. I feel like you need to buy me some smarties after I had to read all that. And YouTube, that's a thing. Right, next week, I haven't decided yet. It's either Wordsworth or as Osmandius. So place your bets now. It's gonna be one of them. Alright, I'll speak to you soon, guys. Keep your loved ones close. Do not go out in the streets of London. And I'll see you soon. <laughs>